you know, I'm thankful for the moments that I had in a jail cell because it was there that I was introduced to God. I met women who had been changed by the love of God, by somebody in their life embodying Jesus. And they were that to me. Welcome back to the Prepare Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Hanton. Today's episode features Lieutenant Samantha Tamayo. Lieutenant Tamayo has an awesome story, and I don't want to delay any more, so let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Lieutenant Samantha Tamayo. Welcome to the podcast, Lieutenant Sam. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. We are excited to hear your story today, and we're just going to jump right into it. But first, before we get too deep into it, we just want to know a little bit about you. So just tell us a little bit about Lieutenant Samantha Tamayo. So um, I'm currently appointed to Flint Beecher Corps, which is the north side of Flint, Michigan, with my husband, Captain Jonathan. He's been an officer longer than I have, obviously. So uh, we love it here. Um, It's close to my home and it's just nice because we have kids. So speaking of kids, we do, we have, um, so I have a teenager named Jaden. She will be 15 this year. Okay. And then I have Nevaeh, who is five and Elijah, who is almost two. He'll be two on March 1st. And then we are having another baby, and we just received a date for the baby's arrival, and it's March 16th. Yay! So Awesome. Yeah, so excited about it. So um, just I'm busy, obviously, <laughs> uh, a lot going on with our kids and with the core, and yeah, just, I mean, still trying to figure out what this officership thing is all about. And what I'm doing, because some days I just feel like I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that, even in normal jobs, you know, like when you start a new position. Yeah, just uh, kind of winging it some days. But um, yeah, uh, just, you know, trying to figure out like a balance between ministry and life and, you know, being a wife and being a mom and all of that. So. So you were commissioned as a Salvation Army officer in? In 2021. 2021. Oh, yeah. This is really fresh for you. So not only commissioned in 2021, but during the pandemic. It was interesting. It was a really, um, I don't know, parts of me like grieved because I felt like I missed out on parts of, you know, training, the training experience that I know a lot of people love and look forward to and talk about. And we spent a lot of time in our apartment virtually, you know, so yeah, it was, I, you know, I I know God, he uses everything for good and for a reason because it did make my faith stronger, but it was, it was an interesting experience living during that. That's interesting. Yeah, it was. So what kind of things do you do on your off time, your hobbies, your interests, and those kinds of things? Just tell us a little bit about what keeps you busy other than your kids and your family. Yeah, that's a given. Um, so uh, aside from them, um, you know, especially like when they're in bed, I love to, I just recently got a cricket for Christmas. And so I am one of those like crazy cricket moms right now. I'm, <laughs> um, you know, trying to figure out like all these cool things I can make and like yes. customizing my kids stuff. And um, I just, that was really cool. It's 
for myself to realize like, oh, wow, this is something that I love to do. And I never even knew it, you know, that's awesome. Um, so that the, the whole crafting aspect, I started um, embroidering again, even. And that was something that I had done as a teen. And my grandma actually taught me like how to do it. I would do crafts and ceramics and stuff with my grandma. And I just, you know, years passed and I didn't do it. And I picked it back up again. And I was like, I love this. It's so soothing. And like, something that really, I feel so refreshed from yeah. embroidering. It's hard to explain. But so there's that. And then in the summertime, we we are a pop-up camping family. We just purchased one um, recently, a pop-up camper. So I love being outside. I love going to see new places. I love traveling um, and spending just time as a family um, getting away from, you know, the hustle and bustle of everyday life. So where do you guys like to camp? Where do you guys like to go? So we just recent, well, last summer we went to um, a place in Michigan. It was called like Snow Lake Campground or something like that. And so we have some more stuff on our radar because we just got that pop-up camper. But before that we were going up to, it's kind of like a family thing with my dad's side of the family that Every summer we go up to, um, it's called Indian River, Michigan, up by oh, Mackinac. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we go up there um, and we'll, we'll probably still keep that tradition going just because it's a beautiful area and it's so close to the Mackinac Bridge. And yeah. um, But on our radar for this year, on my radar is the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I want to go camp up there. It's so beautiful. We used to camp up there when I was a kid in Marquette. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, my goodness. We loved it up there. Oh, beautiful. Mm -hmm. So we want to know how you were called to be an officer, which I feel like is it it will lead in from your full story. Let's just jump right in. Tell us a little bit about your backstory, where you came from and how you came to the Salvation Army and all the things we want to know. Yeah, sure. So buckle up because it's a crazy story. (laughs) (laughs) So um you know, out of respect for family, siblings, and my parents that are still alive, I'll keep some stuff vague. For sure. Because um, there's still family that's healing from some of the brokenness that we yeah. went through um, in my childhood years. So anyways, all that to say, I grew up in just a really dysfunctional household. My parents weren't together. Both of them had their own sets of struggles, trying to do the best they could with the whole parenting thing. Sure. And there was just like issues like mental illness. And I, you know, I remember growing up and trying to like talk to family members about mental illness and like medication. And there was a big stigma in my family. There still is. Yeah. You know, like if you need medication, you're crazy. Um, Something's wrong with you. You know, like, oh, no, I couldn't. I'm not going to take medicine. I'm not crazy. Yeah, all the signs point to you need medicine, you know. So right. Um, so just a lot of untreated mental issues, emotional issues, and mm. there was a lot of codependency mm. um that I experienced firsthand growing up, um, that caused a lot of disruptions in our life because along with the codependency, it was like we would uproot our life to go move in with the newest fling, mm. you know, that sort of thing. So And then on top of that, um, and I believe that it just stemmed from, you know, the mental illness and, you know, the emotional issues, there was a lot of abuse, Mm. physical abuse that my siblings and I endured 
And, you know, looking back and I've, you know, I've had my own journey of healing from all of that. And Mm -hmm. I love my parents with all my heart. Oh yeah. And I'm finally in a place where I can say, you know, I look at like my parents' childhood and they had it worse than I did, Mm. which doesn't excuse behavior, but they, again, they were trying to do the best they could. And if you don't ever heal from that sort of stuff, you take it in, you know, to parenting with you. And so just a lot of like repeated generational mistakes that never, nobody ever stood in the gap to correct issues or to say, you know what, this is changing. Like I went through this as a child and my children are going to go through this. I think that the thought was probably there because I've talked in depth with my parents, you know, but actually thinking it and executing it are two different things. Sure. Um, And on top of it all too, there was a lot of drug, drug addiction, drug use and alcohol use. And again, you know, it's just that like generational cycle stuff because When I trace back my family roots on one side of my family, like I had a grandmother who drank, I mean, just an excessive amount, a ridiculous amount of alcohol up until her death, you know, and same with my grandfather, just issues that, again, never got dealt with. So that was my childhood, you know, just really sad kind of to think about and to talk about and, you know, and I struggled with identity with who I was. Oh yeah. Um in the sense of I felt like I never fit in anywhere. Like I said with the codependency, we moved a lot. And by the time I was in middle school, it was like seven different schools wow. that I had been to. Um so it was never forming like those real deep connections with friends and I was like jealous and envious. I would see like you know the 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 cool girls. Oh yeah. <laughs> who all just they knew each other and they had, you know, since kindergarten and going over to each other's houses at night. And I was always like the outsider, you know, yeah, because I didn't have those connections. Oh, man, I can completely relate to that growing up with Salvation Army officer parents moving around so much, having to start over every two to three years. It's a hard place to be, especially in middle school for crying out loud. Yeah, it is hard, you know, and there's so much pressure, especially in middle school, because like as a preteen, like my, I'm, my body's changing, yep. my, these emotions, these hormones, and for whatever reason, it's built in us that we just want that acceptance. You know, we want to fit in. We mm-hmm. want to know like we're one of them. And when you don't get that, it leaves you almost soul searching for something, you oh, know, yeah. and like questioning, why am I so different? Yeah. So kind of like fast forward a few years and you know, I started making some really bad choices. I so badly wanted to fit in and so badly, um, you know, wanted to be part of something, Mm. be part of a group, be part of, you know, a clique of people. And I just wanted to be accepted. Mm. Um, And I went about it in all the wrong ways, really unhealthy ways. Um, Just so sad when I think about like me as a teen that broken girl, you know, doing yeah. whatever to, to get acceptance and love. And yeah. there was a lack of stability in my household. I should say plural because, you know, between the two um, and a lack of, I don't know, it was almost like always striving to like get love, even at home, you yeah. know, always striving to stand out and like, hey, I just want attention, even if it's bad attention. Right. Right. I mean, just give me some sort of attention. 
Yeah. Because there was like a struggle, even as a teen with parents who have their own struggles that they're going through that are so consuming to them. And now as a parent myself, I can, I can relate to that, mm-hmm. that it can be, it can completely like overtake me to where sure. I'm like missing out on things with my kids. And so again, just that broken girl really wanting love and just the typical like started with you know the alcohol and the pills and um the sexual activity at a really young age and in all of that I found a lot of comfort sure (laughs) I mean I did yeah and I found an identity and Mm -hmm. I found a group of people who wanted to do that with me who you know were open to alcohol and like the party kids and something happened during that time. And I even remember, I remember being like 14 years old, 15 years old and Mm -hmm. um, thinking to myself, because a lot of my friends could do it on the weekends. They could drink alcohol. They could take pills in it. We were talking like Vicodin, like Vicodin, Xanax pills that, I mean, they're just, it's ridiculous. No 14, 15 year old has any business taking that kind of stuff. So I noticed a lot of my friends could take that stuff on the weekend and then they'd go to school during the week and like have this persona of a good student. The teachers would never know, you know, Mm -hmm. and then me, it would like affect every sense of my being and every sense of the word. And I'd want to continue to like use throughout the week. And um, it was a good escape for me because the, even throughout my teens, the abuse was still happening in my households. Mm-hmm. And I had to witness a lot of stuff that was done, like abuse done to others, yeah, abuse done to me. Mm-hmm. But I was put in a lot of adult situations in my household. And young Sam, teenage Sam, I wish I would have like known that but I did mm-hmm. the, the best with what I knew, you know, and yeah. um, it was that fight or flight. And I felt when I was under the influence of alcohol and drugs, it was a great escape. Yeah. I, my mind wouldn't go there as far as what was going on at home. And I also, I was struggling with depression. I was struggling with those like emotional and mental disorders that should have been treated. And had they been treated, maybe things would have been different Mm -hmm. for me, a different outcome with addiction. But so I just continued on and it just spiraled for me. It spiraled so quickly And I ended up, you know, my teenager, I had her in my addiction. I had her as a teen Mm -hmm. and it's so sad, you know, and there's still a sense of shame when I say this, but I feel like it needs to be said because it was the reality. And I know other women face this, that she wasn't even enough for me to stay clean. And that is so sad, you know, so sad. And it breaks now that I, I feel like I really have through Christ been able to live in my identity as a mother. Mm. I look at me now and I'm like, oh, I'm like that typical mom driving the van, <laughs> bumping the cocoa melon, you know, um, <laughs> I got all the mom tips and tricks. Yeah. But when I had my oldest, that was not me. Mm. I was, you know, very self-absorbed, mm-hmm. obviously in addiction and I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready yeah. in any sense of the word. Um, It's not like we planned. It wasn't this planned joyous moment that we were, you know, in addiction, going to have a baby. Right. Yeah. Like you said, I couldn't stay clean. It just wasn't enough. And because, you know, and I believe that um, with addiction, too, that you can't get clean for anyone else. We really can't. Even the love of a child. And 
I, let me tell you, I loved my daughter. Oh, I yeah. lo- And I felt that, that bonding of having her on my chest that first moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just these dreams for us. But it was like the addiction, the drugs, the alcohol, the, just the needing to escape reality because I'm, here I am still carrying all this trauma that I haven't dealt with. Yeah. It, it smothered all that. It took it all out. Yeah. So. Here I am. So this like broken shell of a person, like a skeleton, you know, walking around, like trying to escape life. And I got a lot, I got in a lot of trouble for my addiction. I when you know, when I tell my story about using drugs and alcohol, um, and I say this and laugh, but it's the truth. I get caught with drugs really easy. Okay. <laughs> so, so a good reason for me to stay away from drugs. Right. <laughs> but um, it progressed, especially after I had Jaden. Um, mm-hmm. When I before I had Jaden, it was more light drug use. And I say that, but other people who haven't used drugs would probably be like, what? But it was, you know, the alcohol and the pills. And then after there was a change and I started using IV needles with wow. heroin. Wow. Um, and it was then that my life really, really unraveled. And I was homeless. I I had like willingly like brought my child to family because I knew I was repeating the same mistakes that my parents mm-hmm. had made mm-hmm. and that I knew I had no business raising her. Yeah. So I signed the paperwork um, into me in that moment that was an act of love mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I would let somebody who was better equipped mm-hmm. raise her with the hopes that because I always had hopes I would get clean. I would get clean, sure. you know. Obviously, I wasn't like, yeah, I just want to die in this. And there were moments like that. But there was also, it was more of like, I am so immeasurable and I don't know how to stop. Mm-hmm. I am so sick of this and I don't know how to stop. Yeah. That sort of misery, like yeah. crying out to God. And, um, you know, I'm thankful for the moments that I had in a jail cell, to be honest with you. Because sure. it was there that I was introduced to God. And it was there that I was... I met women who had been changed Mm -hmm. by the love of God, by somebody in their life embodying Jesus. Mm -hmm. And they were that to me. And I still have contact with some of those ladies to this day. The jail ladies is what we call them in jail. (laughs) And oftentimes in jail, it's like, you'll take any excuse to get out of your cell. So you'll go down and see the jail ladies. And for me, it was like, I felt... They knew like what I was going through Mm -hmm. and they offered me so much hope. Sure. They offered me hope. I mean, I had moved in with one of them even after my jail stay. Wow. And then there was another time where um, there was a program I went through called Teen Challenge. Um, And it's actually not just for teens, but it's a 14 month long term program. And it's a very faith based I read through the Bible multiple times as a group while I was there. You know, you go to church every Sunday, you learn what a testimony is, like very faith-based. You spend time in a prayer closet. Wow. Learning how to talk to God. And it was the woman who, again, a jail lady, her name's Tammy, um, and I'll probably send this podcast to her. I love you, Tammy. (laughs) And Tammy's been just huge in my life. I mean, still I'm in contact with her. Yeah. But um, it was Tammy who drove me to Teen Challenge when I got out of jail. Um, and dropped me off and said, I know that this works because I've been through this program. Yeah. So, yeah, just so thankful, you know, for all the women of faith who have come into my life to show me love and to, without judgment, without shame. Yeah. So all that to say, 
I felt like a, a sense of like pulling and calling towards something better. I knew I was smart. I had before all my addiction problems, like I had excelled in school there. I had won a lot of awards, been to the state spelling bee, played multiple instruments, all of that sort of stuff. And I, so I knew I was capable of more, you know, I just didn't know what that looked like. And, you know, growing up in poverty, even like a mom who my mom busted her butt, she worked hard. She worked three jobs to make ends meet. Yeah. And, um, I just, I wanted more. I wanted yeah. to leave a legacy, like for, especially my daughter who I had now inflicted wounds on her. Sure. You know, just like what was done to me. Yeah. There's just so many times, you know, I remember praying and praying and God, please just deliver me from this, please. And I had said to him, I, there's so many times I cried out, I will do anything you call me oh. to. If you just deliver me from this addiction, I don't want to feel this way anymore. Yeah. Please, please, mm-hmm. please. And, um, oh, he followed through. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I, again, I met another woman. Her name is Marlene and she is, I call her my bonus mom. And awesome. she, my kids call her Nana. I mean, she just, she's a pastor of the church of the Nazarene in Owasso, Michigan. Nice. And this woman, oh man, she was a game changer in my life. So I, I just want to like, I reiterate these like women that have been in my life because you don't understand how much of a difference you can make oh, just yeah. your presence in someone's life. It's mm-hmm. just, it's mind blowing to me. So I met Marlene and Marlene, also is the executive director of a nonprofit in Owasso, Michigan. And it's um, a nonprofit that works with people in generational poverty. And it, it works and it's super cool because they have like specific neighborhoods that they target. Okay. Drug court being one of them. And I, again, I had been caught. Um, I had really, it was a bad relationship. Again, it sounds awful. The, the man I was with was making meth um, and I was caught up in it. And you can't just kind of stand around somebody who's making meth and not pay a consequence for it. It's a very bad thing. Yeah. So I um, was offered drug court. And this is, I mean, God's fingerprints are all over this because mm, I love that drug court didn't even exist when my charges came up. I remember I got a call from the police and they said, hey, we're hearing a lot about your name in relation to some of these like meth busts that we're doing. And we want to talk to you. And I had at that point, like I was already clean. So this would have been like seven years ago. I was already clean and I was actually pregnant with Nevea. Okay. Um, So this was like about six years ago, maybe, but Mm -hmm. I was pregnant, clean. And I had begun my faith journey of saying to God, you know what? I'm going to grow up. I'm going to deal with all this stuff. I'll do anything you call me to do. Mm. Please just make this better. Please. I don't know what that means. So I told the truth. I told on myself. (laughs) about it because I said I'm just done with this I am done yeah and I told the complete truth and it worked out in my favor mm. really well and um drug court was just getting started and they asked if I was interested in it and I they told me all the terms of it and it's really intense but I said yeah is that like a like how does that work what's the so drug court is where rather than go to jail or go to prison you are given an option and it's a really intensive program. It's set up in phases. So like phase one was I had to wear a tether, a GPS tether. I had a curfew of eight o'clock. Um, so 
I would have police come to my house at like 8.30 every night to breathalyze me, look through my house, make sure there weren't bad people there, mm-hmm. and make sure I was home. You have to have a job. Um, you have to be going to, it was like 90 meetings in 90 days. You have to do weekly counseling. You see the judge once a week. You meet wow. with the drug court caseworker. Just, I mean, all this stuff to really put you on a path of like bettering yourself, you know? So I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. So this is like for people who are serious about getting clean and staying clean and doing your part. Yep, absolutely. And so, like I said, I, um, I was sentenced in the drug court. Okay. Um, I, I said, yeah, I, that sounds like right up my alley. Yeah. I want to do that. I want to be better. I, I, why wouldn't I want to be connected to resources and to people? Right. Um, because that's part of the drug court program is if housing is an issue, they're going to help you with that. If, you know, they're going to put you in, in touch with people who can help you, whether it be job training. Um, a lot of the people that have gone through the program too now, um, didn't have like a GED or high school diploma. Well, in order to graduate from drug court, you have to finish that. Okay. Wow. So it's all really good stuff that sets you up to be on a path better than what they found you, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was sentenced into drug court. I was two weeks away from having Nevea. I was so pregnant. (laughs) And um, Marlene was there. And Marlene, she came up to me and she said, because I was sobbing, I had nobody there. I had no family there, nobody there to support me. And I was sobbing. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, here's my number. Call me if you ever need anything. And I called her that night. (laughs) (laughs) I called her that night because I had, I had been living not in Owasso. Part of the terms of drug court was you had to move back to Shiawassee County, Michigan to live in the County so they can keep an eye on you. And to me, that was not good because a lot of the people from that County I had used with. And so more than anything, I was like, I don't want to be there. I want a fresh start. Well, that's not what God called me to. God called me Mm -hmm. to being back in there and really growing me to learn discipline that just because I live, you know, 10, 15 minutes within these people doesn't mean I have to call them. It doesn't mean that they have to have access to me. It doesn't mean any of that because there's other people out there. And so God opened my eyes to that, especially through Marlene. So Marlene and I started she like picked me up and took me to the movies and took me out to eat and fed me really well because I was so pregnant and she told me she was a pastor and she had a church and it was a cool church because they didn't have a building so they were just like meeting all over town and um, I just oh man I fell in love with that church and so I had Nevaeh two weeks later okay and I didn't have family that came up there Um, and a lot of it was my fault I had done things to my family. I had done damage. I had stolen from them. I had lied to them. All the things typical of an addict. You know, my they had found out I, at one point, because I was homeless and I was prostituting. Like, Mm -hmm. so no matter what had happened in my childhood, imagine being a mom who finds that out about your daughter. You know, I had broken her heart. And um, I think that they were really scared that, you know, they wanted to see a difference before they became attached to me again. And so I, my brother though, my brother, who's like my best friend, my younger mm-hmm. brother, um, he was at the hospital when I had Nevaeh. And then I had another friend from a treatment center who was clean. Her name was Adrian and there too to have Nevaeh. But then Marlene was there. So I've known this woman a whole 
two weeks and I am like naked in the shower in labor and she's holding my hand and praying over me and I'm like oh my goodness so I mean from then on I knew she was like she was my people sure. if you see me naked screaming you're we're good you know <laughs> yes. so, um, and she fell in love with Nevea. and again um, being in drug court I needed good, solid women in my life. And I was a single mom. And so the church, those ladies became my family. They, Mm. any way that they could help me, they did. They would help me with Nevea. Um, And then through that time, like I said, Marlene was the executive director of of a nonprofit of Shiawassee Hope. And she had written a grant, a capacity building grant to be able to hire someone Oh, and wow. she took me out to lunch one day and she said, you know, I've been praying about this. And she said, there is something about you and I'd like to hire you. <sighs> and I was like, Amazing. no, you know, I have felonies, right? You know, I've been caught with heroin, right? And she's, <laughs> I know all that. I know all that. You know, and she said, I want to give you a chance. Yes. And I just started crying because I was like, you mean I don't have to go work in a factory? Because a lot of people like in my situation would right. or a waitress or, you know, and she said, no, I think that, um. God has great plans for your life and I want to help get you there. And so, I mean, it just was so amazing. So Mm. here I am, um, you know, and I was thriving, doing well. I mean, drug court really helped me. Like I said, even though I was already clean, I think that drug court was part of God's plan for my life Mm -hmm. of, you know, being in recovery and healing. Because let me tell you, having that over my head that like, if I don't show up to counseling this week and also having a counselor who sits on the drug court team to be like, Hey, yeah, she's taking it serious. Yeah. You know, or Hey, no, it's kind of surfacey. Like she's got some, cause clearly I had issues. Well, and now too, like you are now accountable to, to someone as well. Yeah. You know, now you have someone in your life that you want to please on a, in a positive way, you know, you hadn't had that and now you have these pe- all these people in your life keeping you accountable and you want to finally do something good. Yeah. Oh, my. Let me tell you, too. Like, they, the judge and the drug court team, like the caseworker and the, even the police that stood on that team, became like a family to mm. me. Just like you said. Like, I wanted to please them. Mm-hmm. They And they would build me up. We see something in you. Come on. You can do this, you know. And to this day, like, so Judge Stewart, my drug court judge, married Jonathan and I. Oh, wow. The drug court team was all there. I have an awesome picture with them. I mean, they, like, you know, they have become like my family. One of the officers, Sergeant Doug Chapman, just came to my um, baby shower. Wow. Because he's like, you're my girl. I'm so proud of you, you know. So just always in my corner, just rooting for me still to this day. Mm. I'm in contact with them and I love them so much. And I'm so thankful for, like you said, that chance to be accountable to them because at that time, that's what I needed. Yeah. And yeah, just so awesome. So that kind of segues into how I met the Salvation Army. So a lot of the work that Shiawassee Hope does overlaps the work of Salvation Army or not overlaps, but it's very similar Okay, in wanting almost like a pathway of hope. Okay. Yeah. You know, and wanting to connect a Marlene type person to somebody struggling to show them, you know, to give them more than just a handout. But like in the end, we're going to make it to where you are, you can sustain on your own. Yes. So I was actually at an emergency housing meeting at Owasso City Hall. And it's a meeting where um, it was a, there was 
funds that the county or city had received. Um, and this committee was in charge of delegating those funds to people who were facing eviction to give them like a little breathing room to get back to work or find another job, whatever it was that got them in that position. Mm. Um, and so Marlene said, uh, she was like, I want you to come with me. Um, I was like, okay. And now mind you, like I said, I had to wear a tether at the time. I was right. on GPS tether. Right. And it was embarrassing to me. And it was summer and I would wear jeans because I didn't, I got some nasty looks, you know, sure. and um, so I would hide it. So I'm at this emergency housing meeting. I see um, he was a lieutenant, Jonathan, at the time from the Salvation Army. And I said, I said, who is he? <laughs> and she said, oh, he's the new officer at the Salvation Army. And I was like, he looks young. And she's <laughs> so we were like betting on his age. And then and another thing that is so funny is I would call him my Ted. Because Marlene's husband, Ted, is the most amazing guy. I mean, Marlene, like, she's fierce. She's out there. She'll, you know, she's moving people in her house all the time to get them better. And Ted is like, what can I do? What can I do to help you? Like, loves her so much, you know, and cooks for her and, like, cleans and, like, I mean, just all this. Ted is just awesome. And so I was like, I think he's my Ted. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) It was this, like, standing (laughs) joke and nothing really happened from it. Well, Marlene was having um, young and young adult get-togethers on Thursday nights at her house. They love games. Ted goes to, like, these um, conventions of, like, the coolest games that you've never heard of. You know what I mean? Yeah. They love yeah. games like that. He's very smart. He's an um, engineer that works for Consumers Energy out here. Just a very, very smart man. So we would gather on Thursdays. Marlene would feed us because that's one of her love languages. Yeah. Is she loves to cook. And mm-hmm. there'd be, like, ten people that would gather. And we would talk all things theology, like Edgar Allan Poe, whatever it was. We would talk, we would play games and, you know, just kind of hang out. And I said, can you invite my Ted? Yes. And she was like, yeah, um, I will. And he was like super excited to come because he was a new officer. I think he had spent like a year in Pontiac, Michigan, and then was switched to Owasso, Michigan by himself as an officer. And he was lonely. I mean, he was like 25 or something. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand the lifestyle of being an officer. Right. So um, he came and we just became friends. Yeah. We just be our friendship began to grow. And, you know, I thought that Jonathan would judge me for mm. my, you know, my issues that I had and that I was healing from. And so I always hid my tether from him. Mm. Well, then one day, <laughs> so like I said, I had to go to court every Wednesday and who's there to show up to be like, I want to support the drug court and, you know, give resources. Jonathan from the Salvation oh Army. Gosh. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. What? So my cover's blown. I'm like, oh, he's going to think I'm crazy. I'm too <laughs> wild. I'm, you know, and he just it was anything but he was just like, oh, my goodness. Like, you have such an amazing testimony. You know, he's like, I would have never guessed that. Like, it really it made us closer. And, you know, I knew at the time, like I was called into something. I knew I was called to help, right? Um, but I didn't know what mm-hmm. it wasn't like God was like, oh, you're going to the Salvation Army yet. I actually had been going to a community college here in Flint, Michigan, my community college for social work. And so that's what I was going to do. I was going to do social work and I was going to maybe work for the drug court even like there was so, yeah. so many opportunities, you know, and um, Jonathan was like, have you ever considered 
being an officer and I was like well first I don't even know what all that means like it seems like a cult like I don't know what's going on there <laughs> and um, I, w- I wasn't going to church there like you were I was not going to leave my church my ladies right. yeah. this was the church that had helped me to get stable you know and so I said well let me come to a few services and then I realized like it was good it was faith-based it was yeah, not a cult <laughs> and um, started kind of just like observing Jonathan as an officer more and then I realized, like, it was social work with Jesus, you know, <laughs> like, yes. like, I'm a Jesus social worker, like, yes. I could do this, maybe. And so I started exploring and praying about it. And I said, God, if that's what you want me to do, you're going to open the doors. And let me tell you, Heather, every door that I thought would be an issue because of my background, because of um, I had to be discharged from probation, because of all this stuff, I, it just wasn't even an issue. Wow. God was just like, boom, here you go. And here I am. I'm an officer now. I love that. So, I love that. So did you, you and Jonathan were married before you went to training? Yeah. So we got married in May of 2019 and I went to training that fall. Wow. That, okay. Talk about your different kind of love story, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like your unconventional love story. I, I love how you are honoring Jonathan right now with your words and and through this story, because he loved you first, like Jesus loves you. He saw through all of the, the junk, all of the stuff, the past is in the past, you know, like he saw you now in a completely different light. And that's how Christ sees us. That's how Jesus looks at us. He looks at us through his eyes, his love. It goes beyond our sin and beyond our pa- even our past. And what a beautiful story. I just, I'm over here like tearing up because yeah. it's such a beautiful example of, you know, how Christ loves us individually. Yeah. It's just, it's amazing. I mean, I can't, it blows my mind at how good God has been to me, mm. you know, to give me a husband and the Marlene's of my life, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but I mean, especially my husband, he, Literally just the other night, my body was hurting and he, mm-hmm. he gives me a massage and rubs my feet and runs me a bath. I can't even, mm. I don't deserve this, Aww. you know, but God says I do. Yeah. So, that's right. and Jonathan just, he has a heart for God. That's beautiful. I love that. So now you guys are in full-time ministry there in uh, Flint, Michigan, and What kinds of things do you see? Obviously, you are drawn to those in need, but what what other things drive you in your passions for your ministry? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the biggest passion in my ministry is women, especially like women that have lived stories like mine, Mm -hmm. women that have been dealt bad cards, so to speak, and made bad choices and helping, you know, wanting to walk alongside them to say that there's a better way to Mm -hmm. say that they can stand in the cycle, they can be that cycle breaker. Um, So I'm really passionate about women, especially like women in recovery, women who have had broken relationships with their children, Mm -hmm. um, because I have that experience, you know, with my teenager, Mm -hmm. women who have been incarcerated, I at one point in time, I like sat down and added it up and I've spent about four years total in a jail cell. So just really helping. I just love, 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 love meeting women like that to be Mm -hmm. like, look, we can heal from this. You sister do not have to keep 
making the same mistake. We can heal from this. We can recover. Right. Um, And that's what God wants for us. And so I, women, I I love women. Can't say that enough. And then um, another thing I'm like really passionate about is like systems change. Okay. So I told you about my story with drug court. Well, without drug court, I would have just been another offender. I would have just been another criminal, right. just another person, you know, you're going to lock up, you're going to put me on probation, and then I'm going to go back to my life and then probably be there again because mm-hmm. I wasn't given a chance for treatment. Mm-hmm. And a systems change like drug court, like looking at the problem so different with a human approach of like, this is a person, this is a human being who has potential, who has worth. Right. Um, and so we're going to pour resources into them. And honestly, it costs less than incarcerating a person like I've done my research on all that and drug court per offender costs less than what incarcerating a person would wow. cost a taxpayer so I just I love talking about my drug court experience and how because the system changed and how we approached it I am who I am today you know I am here today and changed and better because of it right so yeah I love that yeah I wonder how I mean, I, I see how Jonathan showed up to your court date. It was just a check-in, a Wednesday check-in. Yeah. yeah. So how, where else, I wonder, I just to throw this out there, I wonder how many other counties around the United States have similar programs like this. Is this a nationwide thing or was this strictly just for um, Michigan, your, your county in Michigan? No. So actually when Shiawassee County started it, they were one of seven counties that did not have a treatment program Wow! because there is a big push right now for it. Yeah. So it's a nationwide thing, county by county. Um, Like the county we're in right now, Genesee County, they have a drug court program. Now it's veterans court as well. It's mental health court. Wow. I mean, and I've met people like who have gone through mental health court and it's changed their lives too. So now they're on a medication I'm pro-medication, by the way, listen, because Mm -hmm. I've struggled with postpartum depression after I had my son Mm -hmm. and my postpartum came out in rage, Mm -hmm. anger. Mm -hmm. Um, I reached out to my doctor. She said, oh, you know what? A lot of women go through that. You're going to take this medication every day. I did. I still take it. And it's what I needed. Yeah. It's what I needed. So I think that um, medication in Jesus, you can go along (laughs) and some counseling. So, Amen. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, there's so many different sorts of treatment courts now that it's, yeah, it is nationwide. And I do know, cause I've like looked into some of it. There are salvation armies that are aware of it that come alongside the courts because part of the drug court process is there's a drug court team. And so it's a team of community players, like agencies, organizations, representatives from each that say, Hey, this is the resource I have, you know, Oh, they're struggling with housing all right, well, we have some funds, Yeah. right? Oh, they're a dom- domestic violence victim. We've got a shelter for them. So it's just about bringing all those resources together um, because you see a unique array of needs with the participants in the program. I know we we have our own adult rehabilitation centers and and all of that. I, and, and those things work. I do know that yes. and I'm all for it. But this is... I'm just seeing this as another avenue of ministry that we could partner with and be a part of. I mean, you think about, I mean, I've been to a lot of different court and I've served on, on a lot of different committees and things. And I remember when we were at Dearborn Heights, Michigan, 
I was the community center liaison. So it was my job to get out into the community and partner. You know, I served on the one of the community committees, you know, that would get together once a month and lots of nonprofits and everything. But I didn't know anything about this. Like what an opportunity. I feel I almost feel like I missed an opportunity to show up, show up for someone and reach out to them and be that that connection, be that that person that they knew in the room right. that was supporting them, not just the judge and not just the the officers of the court, not just the counselor or whatever, just being there to support you and say, hey, I see you. I, I'm here for you. Let's go grab coffee or whatever, whatever it is. Right. This is really, I'm getting goosebumps. I feel like this is This could be the start of a new thing, looking in the community and seeing what they have. It may not be called necessarily drug court. It might be called something completely different, but. Yeah. And a lot of, um, so like Marlene's role at that time was she would connect what was called navigators. So that was a program through Shiawassee Hope. People like Marlene would come alongside the drug court participants because there's a lot of obstacles. You have to show up to drug tests so many times per Mm -hmm. week and Mm -hmm. it's random and like you literally find out like 30 minutes before because it's set up that way so you can't try and cheat the system right and so for some of the participants it's like they live not within walking distance and an issue in Shiawassee County too is like there's no bus system it's not a Chicago okay you know you can't just jump on the L you can't Mm -hmm. you know and so um she would connect people who would just be willing to support like hey I need a ride my, my color got called. I have to go test. Okay, I'll be there. Yes. And so what a difference, you know, what a difference. And you to some, it's like, it's just a ride. But, you know, to be in the program and to be like, oh, you're willing to go out of your way to give me a ride to that drug test. Like you believed in me. Yes. You know? Yeah. I love this so much. I just really see this as an as an opportunity to do women's ministries right there. Yeah. We don't really have any specific women's ministries outreach to women like with your story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, since I've been here, because um, when we got appointed here, it was obviously like COVID restrictions and stuff like that. So women's ministry is kind of dwindled down and wasn't meeting. And like you said, I love embrace. I love the fourfold. I love all of that stuff. But I started looking at that and I'm like, okay, but that's more or less like we're targeting women inside the church. Yeah. So, okay, what do we have for women outside of the church? Because not and not that we don't need that. I need to be fed it. I need to be poured into. So do yeah. you, Heather. We yeah. all do. Yeah. You know, but I I want to make a bigger impact. I wanna yes. I wanna be around people who actually need this, who are like so thirsty for this, who are literally like life or death to show them the way. So yeah, I, I love that. This is like meeting people daily, you know, where they are and just coming alongside them and and letting them know that, that they're seen, that we see them and, and we're there for them and we support them. Just, I love that. Even just like showing up to give them a ride. This is inspiring. Okay. So what would be your, your deepest prayer or your, your deepest hope for, your kids right now, even, even for your 15 year old daughter who you, you mentioned, you don't have custody of her, that she is in someone else's custody, but you do still see her. Is that correct? Yep. I sure do. I do. And so, you know, my prayer for her is different from my prayer for 
my younger kids right. um, because there is a different relationship mm-hmm. there. And that's something that I've had to confront in my own emotional life Yeah. Um, because I do feel like guilt from like, mm. you know, I have this closeness with the younger kids and then, and they don't know me as the mom who was nodding out or the mom who was never showing up. But Jaden does, yeah. you know, and so um, it's just been a journey of healing. But yeah, so my prayers would be different for, you know, her as opposed to them. And for her, it would be to heal, mm-hmm. <laughs> to heal, mm-hmm. because I know she has stuff to heal from. That is my fault. Sure. You know, and that's a way I carry. Mm-hmm. Um, but my prayer for her would be to heal and to not to not seek love through men like I did which led me to conforming to what that man wanted me to be. Yeah. You know, even if it meant self-destructing. So, yeah, that would be my prayer for her, especially as she, you know, enters her teen years is don't be short-sighted. Yeah, break the cycle. Yeah, break the break cycle. The cycle. And right. God can do that. God can work miracles. Yeah. Like you said, where generational things have been happening, God can break that. Absolutely. Yeah, I believe that wholeheartedly that he wants to do that. Yeah. Um, And then for my little kids, it would just be, you know, to have the eyes of Jesus. Mm. I want them to be, you know, empathetic. I want them to see the hurt that is around us as they grow up and to to love and to want to make a difference like that. Yeah. Um, I want my kids to and I'm big on this with my kindergartner, Nevaeh. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's somebody who is like not fitting in, not being included, you you include them. Yeah. You know, you don't let them just fall right. to the wayside. Like we need to be people like that, especially in the schools to just make sure everybody's included because that's such a big thing at, for kids. Yeah. This has been such a great conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. Hearing your story, and I feel like, too, there are women out there right now being Marlene's in their church. Whoever's listening to this, you have an opportunity. And even if I feel like God is stirring hearts right now as they're listening to you talk about being those Marlene's to people out there, to women out there, and how many people are products of those same women who have come alongside. So... If that if you're listening right now and you are hearing God speak to you, don't put it aside. Start praying about it right now. Pray for opportunity, whatever that is, whatever that looks like for you. But I I don't have the same story as you do, Samantha, but I do have Marlene's in my life yeah. who brought me out of other things. Yes. There's other darkness out there. Yes. The depression, the the envy, the isolation we can feel as women struggling with being a wife that's one of my new things i believe the disney lie that (laughs) marriage would be so easy so you know yeah you're right heather though it's not just that right right amen to all of that that's amazing well i just want to thank you so much thanks for your time thanks for being so vulnerable and brave that was really brave yeah Uh, i know so many women out there can even relate our listeners will be able to relate in some way to your story. um, If not specifically to your story and no, and let's just say this right now, no one is too far gone. No one is beyond God's arm is never too short 
to save. Right. Yeah. So um, wherever you are today, just know that God is there. And Samantha's story does not have to just be her story. It could be your story too of um, redemption. Yeah, yeah. This has been such a good conversation that I need to hear. Yeah. And this too, I feel like is, is also another avenue of healing for you. Yeah. Just being open and talking um, about this is is part of your healing process as well. So, absolutely, yeah. And you know, I think with that too is um, Satan wants us to be there in that corner of holding on to right? things so deeply and so tightly that we feel like, oh, if I tell them, they're gonna think of me different. Oh, if I tell them, I'm too vulnerable. Yeah, and that can be scary, you know. And so, the truth will set you free. Amen. And it, it does. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. And maybe we'll meet in person soon. Yeah. So I would so love fun. I would just love to hug you. Yeah. Thank you again. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thank you, Heather, for asking me to do this. What an amazing story of redemption and freedom that we can find in Jesus Christ. And it's not over. God will continue to use Lieutenant Sam and her gifts, now along with her husband, to reach more and more women for Christ. I'm inspired not only by what she's been through and her journey, but also her passions and what drives her today. So again, I would encourage you to start praying for opportunities. How is God speaking to you on how to be a Marlene to someone today? And you know, I would even go a step further. How is God calling you? How is God speaking to you on how to be a Lieutenant Sam to someone in your community? God has a plan for your life. If you have any doubt in that, I hope that right now this story helps to dispel any doubt that God loves you. And like I said before, Lieutenant Samantha's story is her story, but that same redemption and that same story can be your story too. And I urge you listeners, if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, you can have that salvation today. You can have it right now. There's a simple prayer that you can pray. I feel called right now just to pray this right now. So wherever you are, even if you're driving, don't close your eyes. (laughs) Wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, just stop and pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I know that I need a savior. Please come into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. I want to live a life that pleases you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and raising from the dead so that I can have not only eternal life someday, but also a right relationship with you here on earth. Thank you for loving me unconditionally. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me today for the first time, or maybe you are praying it for the 150,000th time, because that's just your journey. Will you tell me You can reach us on our website, uscwomensministries.com, or we have a Facebook page and an Instagram. Just search Central Women, but tell someone about it. Don't keep it to yourself. Again, Satan likes secrets, but this is a secret you don't want to keep. Tell someone about it. That's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is a production of the Salvation Army Central Territory Women's Ministries Department. And I hope that this episode has left you feeling prepared and equipped for tomorrow. I'll see you next time. God bless you.